welcome to um, the inaugural Ngano series. Um, welcome, Koli. Welcome, Rungano. So we're just gonna sh- we're just gonna share with you a, p- a conversation that we had that describes why we did this. Um, so this is an introduction episode to the series, and we're going to share a quick conversation where we're discussing how this came about. So it'll feel like you're a fly on the wall listening to our personal musings and conversations about what's happening in the world. History repeats itself, right? And we're all pretty much similar to previous generations and how we respond to unrest, discomfort. And um, this year with the pandemic, us all being in this like equalizing moment and then um, a massive like light being shone on Americans dark history and with the George Floyd protests and the Black Lives Matter. Um, I'm so aware of the Black diasporian struggle outside of Africa more than I'm aware of the Black, dias- the black struggle within Africa. And so I just wanted to find out like, you know, we're now doing these protests we're doing social media movement and more so the younger generation were really out there in the streets and it just triggered the thinking of, well, our parents were at our age or younger during um, our version of our liberation struggle. So what was, what was their involvement? Like, you know, what was their feeling? You know, I guess that's where it came across is just trying to draw the parallels Think of the independence movements across the African nations as similar to the to the Harlem Renaissance. I, I like to think of those times as like that because you you hear about and you see photographs of Nigeria and people speak about people have written about Nigerian independence and what it felt like. Mm-hmm. And, and Ghana. So West Africa is really celebrated. It's got well well documented and celebrated history of their struggle. And they went on these, like most African nations went on these building projects where you could actually see there was a transformation between what was pre-colonial, what was post-colonial. And like from an architectural perspective, it relates to the modernist movement. But I guess in Zimbabwe, growing up as a Zimbabwean, I don't feel like I, I had access to that sort of understanding of what it was like. And the fiction seems like it's it's fiction, but it's based on actual research, right? And a lot of it is, it's, it's personalized. It was also us just discussing um, how, you know, the whole concept of history is told from the conqueror's perspective and saying that, you know, there's a lot of holes in the story of um, Africans in general, just as a general picture just to hear the everyday stories, like in other diasporian stories, you know, we've got the Harriet Tubman's, we've got the, all these people where we have an understanding of what their life may have been and their personal story and how they triggered the events with Zimbabwean struggle, let alone the African struggle, because each country and region had their own unique situations. There wasn't and there isn't an emphasis on teaching the history of of our being. Yeah, and I think that what I think is, is actually, I don't think it's unique to Zimbabwe. I just think that it's probably a shared um, experience across, um, you know, communities that have gone through colonialism, because then it's just the standard of what we're trying to aspire to be. So why would you discuss your past if your past has been painted as 
um, uncivilized as savagery as it's not going to get you ahead. But even then, the tone of which it was taught, you know, only started to change when things started to change in Zimbabwe as it being celebrated rather than it being, you know what I mean? Like just our yeah. past, but we're trying to do better in this Western turf. Yes, definitely. I also think like as an architect, one of the things that um, we've spoken about before was just walking around an Australian city or an American city or a British city or any sort of colonizer city. You see all these monuments, you, all, you see all these plaques, you see the street names. And I, I mean, it's changing now because you know, the street names were slowly changed over a period of time in Harare. Like seeing the street name, Samora Mashal triggers you to ask, who was Samora Mashal? What did he do? And that's only starting to happen now. But when we were growing up, a lot of those street names still had very uh, colonial names. And I think yeah. not seeing that in the physical fabric of a city has also impacted us in not knowing the stories of our own parents. This is not like far away, right? 1980, I was born in 86. That's only six years before yeah. I was born. So yeah. like our parents yeah. lived through this time. And I, I really enjoyed seeing the peacock feathers like kind of flutter as each person starts to tell their own story. Like it's, it's fantastic. It's, you know, everybody's inner child comes out and you're like, yes, so you like the stage or you're like, oh, so you like to be prim and like control, like whatever it is. It was just, it's just such a humanizing moment that I think outside of the Black Lives Matter and the liberation struggle, that it's just important to sometimes just humanize our parents' generation because sometimes it can feel, they can feel so far away from how they make decisions. And when we listen to their stories, we're like, ah, we're the same. We should also clarify for people who are listening, this was meant to be personal. It was meant to be very personal. It was meant to be about yeah. their lives and the way they experienced the things that happened at specific times. So like yeah. thinking about oral history, which is the nature of oral history, it's very much person, personalized in the way that we experience and perceive things. So there's gonna be very different perspectives on the way that people perceive things. There's going to be very different, yeah, very different perspectives on the way people, on, on the same factual thing that happened because they were yes. by different people in different situations in different places. And that was also yeah. important to us, right? Because we were trying to get the full picture I think is which is why. Yeah, and I think we still are. And I think we still are in finding subjects who may not have come from places of privilege or finding subjects who were directly linked um, within the liberation struggle. Um, because I think that um, we also just have to recognize that even our own point of view definitely comes from a place of privilege. You know, we know what we don't know, but we also don't know what we don't know. And so we're looking to just expand our net in filling all the voids of the story, not just from our perspective of the bubble and context we come from. Yeah. Always a call and a reprise with the performer and the audience in our storytelling. And then also what was happening with Black Lives Matter. I think our parents' generation had a lot to say about it. Um, and I'm hypothesizing here. A, a connective feeling and seeing these sort of revolutionary things happen because they were part of revolutions, right? And so now yeah. it's easier to take them back to that space and be like, and ask them, what was it like? What did it feel like for you as a human being? As I'm sure like future yeah. generations will want to ask us as black people who are alive at the time that the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, well, the nuances, like the detail, like you have the overall picture, but things like, 
oh, fork and knife? Or like, oh, so that, like, you know, things that you, because we have this black and white version in our mind and then suddenly they're just putting in the color and it's HD and you're like, damn, son, what? There's no value in just looking in the past if we're not, if it's not feeding into how we can adjust ourselves now in the present to affect the future. Otherwise, we're just looking back. Otherwise, it's just a story.